Hi folks, my name is Eric Barnett, and I'm a singer-songwriter from Charleston, South Carolina, and you're listening to Songs of the Unsung. Songs of the Unsung is a podcast where I talk shop with fellow singer-songwriters that I come across. This week's guest is Colleen Loy. Originally from Sacramento, California, Colleen also spent a few years in the Nashville music scene, playing at the Bluebird Cafe, writing songs with notable singer-songwriters there before she moved to Charleston. You can catch Colleen at either of her residencies. She plays at Slightly North of Broad every Friday night, and at King's Tide on Daniel Island on every other Sunday. Enjoy my conversation with Colleen Loy. Hey, Colleen, thanks for stopping by today. Thanks for having me. So, met you at the last Songwriter Showcase. You came out and saw Fleming and Danielle and Robert Lighthouse play. And I, I think you'd sent me a message after seeing, is it Chris Dodson you know pretty well? Yeah, I know Chris really well. Um, he was one of the first songwriters and musicians that I linked up with when I moved from Nashville. So, thank you, Chris Dodson. I love you. Yeah, hi, Chris. Uh, yeah, and then coming out to the show... And hearing everybody, I mean, I, I don't know how many times I must have said, oh, this is amazing. I'm having the best time. <laughs> and I wasn't certain how long I was going to stay, but yeah. I literally rearranged my, the rest of my day <laughs> to stay. And I'm so grateful that I did because I really believe in what you're doing. And I think it's awesome. And plus, I got to meet some incredible musicians and reconnect with Danielle. And we've been working on stuff together since then. So awesome. Yeah, it's really, it's it's been a blessing, a yeah. blessing, and I'm proud of you because you work so hard at everything <laughs> you do. <laughs> well, thank you. One of the things I've really been trying to do throughout this podcast and the showcases is I, I work a day job, and then when I'm not working, I'm playing gigs. And you know, as a gigging musician, you don't really get to go around and see other gigging musicians. No, and then I feel bad because I yeah. want to support them yeah. and I want to go see them. So, yeah. And I, it really limits the people you meet as well because, you know, you're you're both working the same night. So uh -huh. part of my selfish reasoning of doing this is being able to meet some people and get their take on songwriting and music and maybe steal a little bit of their mojo when they're here. And Yeah. But it is creating this, you know... Not not single handedly creating a community of musicians. There's, but I I hope to contribute to that by getting. I do too, and I I think I told you I'd like to figure out who else is doing it, and then get us all to hold hands yeah. and just literally scream, "Hey, there's a world out there that needs to know about original music and original artists that are supporting themselves, not just you know without the day jobs, but the ones that are yeah. literally just gigging." And the ones that are like you and I that have day jobs, that yeah. um, it's not an easy task to have a day job and then continue doing what you love and what you were put on earth to do. And and then fitting it in, plus your personal life on top of that, trying sure. to juggle uh, you know, a wife or a husband and other things that you want your friends that want to go out with you. And you're so spent mentally by the end of the day that you're <laughs> like, there's nothing left of me. I need to go decompress. I'm a firm believer that, you know... Uh, a high tide raises all boats. There's a lot of people that consider this a competition. I do you know? not. Oh, that's and, awful. And if if one of us makes it, we all make it. Absolutely. Uh, I think there is a bit of a, a tide to overcome 
where people need to we we have to figure out how to make the average people care about original music and not just the same 15 20 songs they keep hearing and it, my hope is that the general public if, even if it's just in Charleston can go out to a bar and instead of requesting those same songs freebird yeah yeah. <laughs> I charge a thousand dollars for that. <laughs> <laughs> for them to look at a musician and say, play me one of your songs. Well, it is exciting when I play out. I play it slightly north abroad, usually on Fridays when I'm not in Nashville. And what I like to do is say, okay, we're going to have a little bit of the Bluebird Cafe moment right now because I used to play there um, regularly. And and that that is a world-renowned little dive, yep. like literally a cube. <laughs> You yeah. walk into the place. And so I genuinely see a complete change in the clients or the customers in the restaurant. Like they're paying attention when I do covers, but then all of a sudden I have their undivided attention. And there's nothing more amazing to me to see somebody really react to something that you've just written or not just written, but played and shared with them. And then they come up and say, wow, we love your original music. And can you do more? Or when I say, what do you want to hear? And they go, another one of yours. Yeah. It's, it's like amazing. And so, um, and, and Slightly North Abroad has been really good working with me on that. And I keep telling the audience, you know, they're not going to get mad if you sing. And so <laughs> there are repeat people that come back and then they start singing the words to your originals, which is really exciting. It's like, wow. Oh, the first time you look out and people actually know your songs, that's a really big, Yeah, that's a big thing. It's amazing. Well, awesome. Let's talk. Let's uh, rewind a little bit. Let's start at the very beginning. Uh, oh boy, Sacramento. Sacramento. Yeah. Yeah. Born and raised. I was born and raised in Sacramento, California. And I had heard that you first started teaching yourself guitar because your sister was learning, and you're like, "You're not going to get the spotlight. I'm going to learn how to play guitar." I probably, apparently, <laughs> yeah. That's kind of the truth. And um. Well, yeah, I was banging on the guitar and my sister was taking lessons. And when you're forced to take lessons, I don't think, because your parents are paying for the thing, she didn't like it. And I just thought, I'm going to teach myself how to play. So I took her little guitar book and I, I think the first thing was the um, Jingle Bells and mm. the Marines, da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da. Uh, <laughs> oh, Shores of Tripoli, yeah. Shores of yeah, Tripoli, yeah. yes. I'm like... Like, huh. And then I just started playing and my mom came in. It's like, you're playing the guitar? So my older sister just gave it up and I took it. I took that guitar uh -huh. over from her and then started. Um, I ended up at a Catholic school in fourth grade. So I was 10 at the time when I taught myself how to play. And I ended up transitioning to a Catholic school instead of a public school. Mm -hmm. And they were having music lessons, which, of course, I didn't know the first thing about singing. You know, I... Breathe in, <laughs> breathe out. <laughs> and I was like, Phew. you know, uh, and yeah. Sister Magdalene, who sang like an angel, would make an example of my breathing. And so I was like, well, that made me mad. I'm going to learn how to sing too. So it just kind of, out of, you know, when you tell me I can't do something, I'm the first person to go, oh, watch me. So um, they started making me bring my guitar for the school masses. Mm -hmm. And um, and I, I think one of my arms is longer than the next because I've dragged that thing around <laughs> uh, grammar school and then into high school at St. Francis, which is an all-girls school as well. <laughs> <laughs> what, uh, what kind of music were you listening to at the time? Oh, I was listening to my parents' music, okay. which was Motown, 
um, Average White Band, Heart, uh, Fleetwood Mac, uh, oh gosh, uh, Joan Arbitrani, Jefferson Airplane, anything from the 60s on up. Back when songwriting was really the- James Taylor. Songwriting was driving the bus back then. Right. It wasn't, I mean, there were, there was <clears throat> pop music back then. There was songs that were just thrown together just to be hits and what have you. But back then, that's the- that's, Music was music. That's the golden age of songwriting. It, I it is. The it's 60s insane. And 70s, yeah. yeah. Like Donna, uh, no, what was it? Um, oh gosh. Diana Ross. If you need me, call. Yeah. No matter where you are, <laughs> no matter how far, <laughs> just put that record on. Yes, a record player, people, yeah. over and over and over and over, and used to listen and imitate the sounds of their voices coming out and uh -huh. sing it until I learned it, and that's how I learned how to sing. Besides, in church, it was like just playing the record over and trying to imitate the tones. Mm -hmm. I'm quite certain I could work for the FBI and voice pattern recognition <laughs> And literally tell you that person has a cold, that one, da, da, da. It dropped this much. Mm -hmm. I have a weird thing with voices that yeah. I can I can hear it spot on. Like, nope, that person's getting sick. <laughs> <laughs> when did you start playing in front of people? Um, well, I started playing in front of people when I was 10 at, okay. the, at the church. And then uh, I was the youngest little member of the folk group at St. Mary's in Sacramento, and uh, that was like riveting. I was like, oh my gosh, I'm so excited. I'm in this group. Yay. <laughs> and of course, I felt like, you know, when they invited me finally to be in the folk group and there were other classmates that um, we had, a couple of us that were in there and we had so much fun. <laughs> you know, like we drank brandy on the altar. I just confessed that to my mother. <laughs> Mom, when it was Easter, they were giving us brandy on the altar to clear our voices. <laughs> You know, the statute of limitations <laughs> like, is out on that. Like, so yeah, I like good. to drop a good yeah. bomb on my mom and dad go, <laughs> you know, when you told me this, well, I was doing that. Yeah. It's like, is there anything else? Oh, I'm certain there's more. <laughs> and were you writing your own songs back then? I was, but um, I don't think that some of them were good. Mm -hmm. And and the ones that I had, sadly, were stolen out of my storage unit. So I really don't remember what I had written when I was younger. I wish I had all of that. Yeah. Um, somebody cleaned out my storage unit. And I had a, a big, I, I can see the book now is this big maroon, kind of like a photograph thing that I'd stick my songs in. And I know some of them were good. I wrote a Christmas song, but it's gone. It's long gone. Oh. But I, I don't think, obviously, to the degree that I do now. And, you know, after living in Nashville for so many years, the bar is so high that you just, you have to keep getting better or you're just like, I think I need to leave. Like, and they're like, yes, you need to keep, keep in there, keep in there. Would you think, would you consider your first big break that track that ended up on the Mothers Against Drunk Driving album? Oh, absolutely. And that was actually, um, how old was I? I was just a kid. I don't even remember. And that's the thing. We'll, we'll we'll segue into that, but there's yeah. going to be a book about that band that we'll talk about. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, before I give an intelligent conversation about how old I was, I have to look and see <laughs> when that album was recorded. Yeah. But it was truly my first recording I ever did in my lifetime. And somebody found me in church and said, hey, do you want to um, join a band or do you want to do this recording? And I was like, okay. Well, so I had to go get people to fund the project. And it, and at the time, it was not designed to compete in that Mothers Against Drug Drive, Drunk Driving. It was literally, do you want to do this recording? And I'm not certain why. He probably just wanted my voice on his song because he wrote it. Okay. So um, I got a doctor and a nurse 
to back our two doctors and a nurse to back the recording of that song. And then the guy ran off with the master. <laughs> and then KZAP, hometown 98.5, Sacramento, was doing a singing competition all over Northern California, uh, raising money for uh, Mothers Against Drunk Drivers. And so I basically uh, did what any red-blooded American would do. I found the man that had the masters and threatened his life and said, <laughs> you will give me this master and make me a copy because I assure you, you won't want to know me if you don't. And it was pouring down rain. My uh, Mustang at the time, 67 by the way, uh, was stalling out on the freeway because there was so much water and they had to throw me through the window to get there and I arrived at the back door of KZAP like a drowned water rat at <laughs> 5 to 5 p.m. and said hi I'm Colleen Loy here's my submission I mean I must have looked like a freak so <laughs> by the time I got there and I literally made the deadline because I had it was hard finding this guy and um then I got the call from the radio station. I think it was about a month later saying, you're the number one song on the B-side. I'm like, what? Wow. <laughs> and then it ended up on the radio. So I was like, and I remember when we were in the studio, they were holding my food. And I'm looking in the recording booth starving going, I'm so hungry. And they said, when you finish this song, uh. <laughs> you can eat your food. It was like the dinner bell dangling in front of me. I was just a little twerpy kid going, I'm starving. I want food. <laughs> Get me my food now. <laughs> Different motivations in the studio. It takes, I'm motivated by yeah. food, okay? <laughs> yeah. Uh, my wife says she's very food motivated. Yeah, I'm yeah. motivated by food. You feed me and uh, tacos. You feed me tacos and I'm happy as okay. heck. <laughs> Noted. Mm -hmm. So w people hearing that song, is that what led to the opportunity to join City Kid? It is, um, because City Kid was on the album. They were the number 12 song on the B-side. I was the number uh, one song on the B-side. Okay. And the management, Steve Klausman, um, who was managing City Kid at the time, they did some shuffling of the um, singers. They got rid of the singer that was on the album and then pulled me out of my band, Mirage, with my guitar player, Brooke Bright. So we, of course, destroyed a beautiful band that <laughs> <laughs> That's terrible. I used to cherry pick bands. I think it's karma that things. <laughs> I want you. I want you. So they we dismantled that beautiful band Mirage, unfortunately, and um, I joined them. And it was Bobby Contreras, um, Brooke Bright on guitar, Frankie Hannon, Brian Wheat, obviously on bass, um, and me. And that was yeah. it. And yeah. so. Um, then we decided, or Steve did, that he wanted to get a, another guy to co-lead the band with us. Mm -hmm. So we were auditioning singers, and we had several, and all of them seemed to be named Jeff, one of which I was like, I'm not singing with him. And because my song was playing all the time, literally all the time, all day long, all night long, they're like, whatever she wants, get it. And so <laughs> Jeff Keith came in, and I was like, oh, my God, yes, <laughs> yes, yes. So... um we, we got Jeff in the band, and, and the rest is history, and we were doing our thing as City Kid. Yeah, until somebody decided maybe City Kid's not the best name for a band. Well, and I was still in the band when it was called City Kid. I uh -huh. left um, because I had a day job, and I know some of them did and some didn't. I really don't remember the dynamics of what they were doing. I know Jeff was probably a truck driver 
Um, and he probably just said, that's it. I'm going to do music because he was so talented at it. And I'm sitting there working a day job at a hospital making 11 bucks an hour on the weekend. And yeah. I'm like, I'm not leaving. I mean, they right. were like, we're going on the road. Plus, the guys were writing songs together when they had time. And I I wasn't. I okay. was not writing. It was, a, it was a man's world back then. It still kind of is in the music industry. And um, there weren't many female guitar players, let alone female singers out there in, in the 80s um, right. that were out there, other than probably Joan Jett. And even Bonnie Raitt, I don't think, was out doing her thing yet. And if she was, it was quiet. It wasn't, you know, a big, hey, I'm here. Sure. Um, so I, I just kind of like, I didn't have enough faith. I was living on my own. I was paying my rent. And they were like, we're going to go on the road. I'm like, good luck. Yeah. <laughs> See you guys yeah. later. Right. <laughs> and shortly thereafter, they changed their name to Tesla. Yep. And David Geffen of Geffen Records, you know, obviously came and did did it to it. And then they, uh, I think they swapped out Brooke for Tommy Skeech. Mm -hmm. And um, I think Tommy played in the band Nasty Habits. I, my memories, because he was from Sacramento, um, I don't recall exactly how that happened. But, and then um, the drummer... I don't, I'm not sure when Troy Lucetta joined, but um, so Bobby left and Troy came in. And I, I'll have an interesting story how I met Troy, but it's really funny to, I was having dinner at a retreat with women and she said, my my guide is Nikola Tesla. I'm like, I used to sing with him. And I'm like, <laughs> what? She goes, well, my husband is the cousin of Troy. And I'm like, what? And I didn't know Troy lived in Murfreesboro and I, I have a house there. So mm -hmm. I was like, what? She goes, come to dinner. So we're sitting across the dinner from Troy. And she said, Troy, did you know that Colleen sang with City Kid? And he's like, with Jeff? And I'm like, before Jeff. And and <laughs> with Jeff. And he goes, are you kidding me? <laughs> it's like the smallest, craziest world. And then um, her husband became one of my producers, uh, Scott Van Zandt, who wrote for Kiss and a whole bunch of hit songs mm -hmm. and and some of the stuff you can see on YouTube with us doing it, just like Led Zeppelin rock and roll. Just yeah. he's, he's this left-handed maniac guitar player, super talented. And I'll shut up now. Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> I could go off on many tangents here. So between City Kid and uh, Nashville, were you just gigging around the Sacramento Sacramento area solo, or um, after I left the band? Yeah. Oh, I, I joined several other bands uh -huh. in Sacramento. I just stayed locally, and um, I had bands called Exciter, and oh gosh, and they're just going to kill me for not remembering. Uh, <laughs> we had some really good bands. <laughs> awesome. Well, yeah. Then I read um, around 1992-ish, started making trips over to Nashville. I did, and um, it was funny. Because uh, someone, I'm, I'm, I think I told you already. I'm motivated, motivated by when someone says you can't do this. I'm like, watch me. So I was going through divorce at the time. What's a lovely year? 1992 is a lovely year for divorce, and your self esteem is shattered, etc. And I, my friend dragged me out to a place, uh, Carlos Murphy's, which is probably shut down now. And they were doing karaoke, and I had pneumonia and should not be out doing anything. I was like, I should have been in my bed. And um, so this woman was up there singing, and she was just acting all that in the biscuit. And I was like, I just, she goes, get up there. <laughs> it's like, I'm sick. No, get up there. So I did, and I sang, um, oh, gosh, it was a uh, Whitney Houston song. I can't even remember. The Greatest Love of All. No, okay. that's a stupid song to pick when you're singing and you're sick. <laughs> but I picked it. 
And somebody came up and said, you need to join the songwriting competition at the Yellow Rose. And I'm like, what the heck is the Yellow Rose? <laughs> like, it's a country bar. I'm like, I, I don't do country music. And they said, it's a trip to Nashville. I said, okay, I, I now do country music. So I had a day to literally learn some country songs, get mm-hmm get a outfit for the semifinals and for the finals because I knew I was going to win it. I don't know how. I knew. I just knew. So I went and bought a red dress with cowboy fringe. And um, I said, okay, you guys, give me anything you think that I can do. And it was like, learn Trisha Yearwood. She's in love with the boy and like we never had a broken heart and black velvet. And we competed for six weeks. And each each week you had to beat everybody in the competition to go to the next level. And then you each time you did beat someone, you got to advance and open up for some country artist. And I I did that for the six weeks every time. Wow. <laughs> I was like, okay. And so, of course, I ran out of outfits. But I did have those <laughs> cute red boots, which I now have gotten rid of. And I'm so sad that I did that. I was stupid. But um, I won and ended up in Nashville. And uh, that's how I got there and fell in love with country music and realized I was stupid <laughs> my entire life for, the, for hating it because I, I just thought, oh, that likes country music what's wrong with you people well listening to your music i can definitely hear like you were raised a rock singer oh absolutely like like, (laughs) listen to you belt out rock and roll listen to you sing some of those songs i can tell like your your pedigree is rock oh absolutely but yeah listening to some of the songs you write some of the storytelling sort of songs to me that is that does have more of a country music sort of feel in country Especially old country, especially like, and even like some nineties too. Mm-hmm. Not modern country, no. But no, yeah. The way that they can tell a story and really kind of bear their heart out, you know. That's uh, I feel a lot of that in your song. So it was really mm-hmm. funny to hear you initially say, and and I've heard this in kind of some other interviews I watched of you, where you're like, "Oh, I'm not a country singer." <laughs> And denial, denial, yeah, denial, and denial. Time denial. proved you wrong. <laughs> yes. So you're correct. <laughs> you are correct. I I admit I was wrong. I am. I'm I embrace country music now. But if you were to ask me what is my strong suit, yeah. I can give you a gut-wrenching ballad and rip your heart out and shove it back in your chest. Yeah. <laughs> and then I could take you on a good, like, nice, happy ride and after I drop you down into the gutter. <laughs> Pull you back up with sunshine and rainbows. Right on. In 1999, just said, screw it, move to Nashville. Yeah, I quit a really good job at a law firm. And um, and they were very supportive because every job I've ever had in a law firm, and this rings true with every literal law firm I've ever worked for in my life, They, I've been honest about my music, and they've always let me do what I need to do. And I've been grateful to all of them. But I just said, I've got to go. And I was I had an R&B band before I left California in 1999, a very successful one. And <laughs> we were making lots of money. And I was booking them. I was like, guys, I got to go. And they're like, what the heck are you doing? <laughs> I'm like, I don't know. I'm getting pulled to Nashville. And, um, and I'd been making annual trips. So I did the uh-huh. Jack Daniels thing. And they flew me out from California to do the festival, the barbecue thing. Um, literally a pilgrimage every year. And when I got off the plane the first time back in 1992, it felt like music notes were like in the air. And I, I literally felt like I was breathing music and I thought, this is where I need to be. I just don't know how to get from here to there. And I finally just said, okay, 
I quit, gave my notice. I gave them a month's notice. And then um, I left without a job, literally didn't have a job and um, packed everything I had, sold my house. And the next day I had a job at a law firm. (laughs) So obviously God was watching out for me, the stupid fool that just leaves great jobs. (laughs) Also, um, even listening to some of the stories you talk about and some of the other interviews and knowing kind of what your second career is, you're big into the manifesting. Oh, absolutely. Uh, um, yeah, I have a, a company called Indigo Healing Therapy, mm-hmm. and I do what is called rapid transformational therapy, and it basically is a form of hypnosis that takes people back to their um, root causes of problems. I'm also a Reiki master, and um, I believe in healing energy and yeah. helping veterans and people with anxiety. So I I try to... No, I don't try. I do. <laughs> I literally put Reiki and healing music, my healing vibes into every bit of music that I play out into Uh the world because I think there's too much darkness right now and everybody needs to be shining their light out. So when I go into anywhere, I don't care how small the venue is or how big, I literally play like there are millions of people there. Mm -hmm. And and it, it has come to my attention that some people were suicidal and they came up to me later and said I was going to kill myself. And now because of something you sang, I'm not. And and you know my as you said my stories they're my stories they're and i share them with everyone to you know reveal that my heart has been filleted <laughs> sliced and diced and um and i recovered and i don't look at my life as a victim i i i believe that when you you embrace all the terrible things that happen to you over a course of time it builds character it makes you who you are and then you can show other people hey I've been there and I've, you know, you can listen to my music and know exactly what I've done or who, you know, who have done it with and just say that, yeah, there are no victims. Don't be a victim. Just embrace that pain, live through it, push through it, get up and go live because living healthy and happy is the best revenge (laughs) and forgive, forgive the people that hurt you because dragging that thing of um, hatred and angst and poor me and you did this to me, blah, 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 is just a waste of airspace. And I always tell people just to take that helium balloon and write on it whatever it is that they're hanging on to and just let it go. And by the way, that helium balloon does not kill the atmosphere because I'm very much into that too. Don't don't hurt our atmosphere. <laughs> so there you go. <laughs> yeah, it, like just talking about like how you just decided and you're like, I'm moving to Nashville now for this to people have to understand for you to be willing to give up that much money really means that you believe in what you're going to do. And I'm a big proponent of you got to tell the universe what you want from it or you'd never expect to get it. A lot of time, just telling the universe that you want from it makes you decide what you actually want too. That's true. And also, if you, I I think the way I look at it is you tell the universe, God, thank you for what you want in advance, like you already know you have it. Mm. I'm very good at manifesting anything that I want, only because I've learned over the course of many years, and I wish I had known this when I was 19, and, you know, all the marriages, though I don't regret any of the marriages, and I've had two. (laughs) 
sounds terrible. But the the bottom line is to actually pick what you want, say, thank you, God, thank you, universe, for this that I have, and literally feel it, mm-hmm. see it, believe that you have it, and eventually it shows up because your words and your thoughts have power. They literally have immense power, and people don't realize if they're just fixated on angst and darkness, they're just going to get, okay, so the universe and God are like, oh, that's what you want? All right, we're going to give you more. You want more suffering? Here's more suffering. Okay. And or if you I wanna... can think of all the reasons <clears throat> I'm not worthy of this or I'm not going to get this. Right. You know, if if people concentrate on that, it's a self-fulfilling prophecy. They'll just keep in going down that path that they've gone down. And... Yes, you drag your luggage from one thing to a next, the next. And if you don't, if you hang on to bitter thoughts about people, life, things, it literally only drags you down because they don't care. Right. (laughs) People that have hurt you, they're over it. Yeah. And the only person that's left holding the bag is you. So if you're going to hold the baggage that somebody hurt you, they did this to your heart, whatever, it it's only going to affect you. And so yeah. I've I've learned, and of course I'm much more intelligent than I was in my youth, only because I've learned how to meditate, how to pray, how to be grateful for what I have, because I have so much that I can't even say thank you enough. You know, God gave me a literal boatload of gifts that I do and that I have. And so I'm like literally like an energizer bunny throwing them out to the universe, going, Okay, who needs this? Who can who can benefit from this? And just see how much I can give, and then I get it back, you know. And that, but the important thing is to recharge your batteries because if you let people drain you, and I'm guilty of that, you don't plug the battery back in. Yeah, yeah. And you think, well, I was charged at forty percent; that should be enough. <laughs> then go back and yeah. I'm going to try this until my battery drops down to one, or better yet, it's going to turn off. And then so, I'm- what started your path down <laughs> learning about? kind of self-actualization and learning about Reiki and, and was it, was it, um, your son's experience with PTSD being in the army or what kind of, what kind of started you down that path? Well, as far as the healing part, the son with PTSD, absolutely. Mm -hmm. Um, and just different friends I've always had, I'm, I'm very intuitive and I wanted to know more about how to you know, get my gifts better defined so that I can talk to the other side. And I'm writing a book about angels because, quite frankly, the angels want people to know that they're there. So I have a co-writer that I'm working on, like I have enough enough to do. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I think, and I'm, I have to think, it's got to be the last six six years, maybe. And I I don't even know how I got like. All of a sudden, I'm just going to turn into this. It's just when they know or when you say, I want to learn more and and you just quiet the mind, then you start hearing. And I, I hear things in my right ear like, okay, Colleen. <laughs> the people think you're crazy. I'm not crazy. Um, I just thought, well, I know I can help more people if I start doing a combination of my music, putting my, my positive healing hands. I always knew that there's power in these hands to healing Mm -hmm. and I didn't know what to do with it. I I knew that you could do good or bad, but I've always done good. And I didn't even know what it was called until I figured out it's called Reiki. But I mean, I just could feel this vibration in my hands. 
And so I had to learn how to figure out what that was. And one thing led to the other. And then, you know, you get a video. And then after, you know how Big Brother listens to everything you say. As soon as you start talking about this, Google sends you 9 million other yeah. things that are along those lines. It's so, actually incredibly convenient. It's so convenient that, oh, yes, I wanted a taco. And then, of course, tacos come up. Yeah. I, you know, so, most of the time I actually don't mind. <laughs> I know. And I mean, sometimes I turn off the ads like, that is so invasive. How yeah. dare you? <laughs> it's a little, <laughs> but I, it's but a little much. Yeah. yeah. But thanks. I needed that. So those things drop into your inbox. And I mean, I, I'm guilty. I'll just go in my inbox. I have hundreds of emails, if not more than that, every day. I just go delete, 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 delete. And then something catches my I'm like, oh, you should have read that. Go pull it out of the yeah. trash. Yeah. And that's kind of probably what happened was I pulled something out of the trash that I deleted in haste. And mm -hmm. it just kind of gave me a thirst for more information, more information. And then I'm like, oh yeah, I do that. Okay, I better figure this out. And I I like to perpetually learn. I want to know why things happen. I don't yeah. just want to do it and not know why it happens. So sure. my brain is, I'm a rare musician because I'm analytical as ever. Yeah. Left brain, right brain. And I just want to know the mechanics behind something and then I want to teach it because I'm a born teacher. So mm -hmm. it's like, okay, I'm going to figure this out and then I'm going to start teaching people and just, you know, by talking to people and, and sensing like I don't follow a set list when I'm out playing. Mm -hmm. I literally pull out of the air people's thoughts. <laughs> and I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, oops, you know, somebody wants to hear this. They look at me like I'm a mad scientist and all of a sudden they came up and go, thank you. I wanted to hear that. I'm like, I know. I always try to, I try to look around a room and I have a few songs that I consider to be sort of pivot points. Right. Where if you put a song out there and you look around and you kind of see what reactions it gets. Yeah. And you know, okay, we'll pivot into that for a second. This seems to be where this room wants to head for a minute. Right. Yeah. And and you do know that because the the thing is you can get a sense and... Well, okay, that, that person's not paying attention. And I think I told you before off, off air, you know, when you play something and you're, you're playing covers and you've got their attention, they're mm -hmm. so excited. And then when I say, yep, that's the bluebird or whatever, we're having a bluebird moment. Then all of a sudden you see them spark like there's a light bulb on. Wow, they love it. They're like, wow, you want to do more of that? And then they ask you, and it's more exciting to you because, wow, they actually care what I wrote. They actually yeah. care what I thought about. And then they come up and talk to you later and say, hey, thanks for playing that. That I related to that song. So Sure. Yeah. <laughs> briefly mentioned your son and briefly mentioned his experience. Mm -hmm. um, you wrote a song. I did. About that and, and him. Uh, care to play that for us? Yes, I'll play that right now. Well, this is a song that I wrote, um, and it's obviously before he got PTSD, but it's called You're Gonna Fly. And my son was a fireman <laughs> first, which is a wonderful job for any mother to suffer through your kid. Yeah. And it, so there's a little line about him being a fire in, fireman in the song. But um, yeah, he called me on the phone when my daughter was in the hospital and said, hey, mom, are you sitting down? I just joined the army. I'm like, oh, my Lord, you're trying to kill me. <laughs> And and then I you know went to the graduation at Fort Benning and realized these guys are going off to war, so um, that's what the song is about. It's a tribute to everyone that serves. It's not just for the army. Awesome. Let's hear it.
looking at my baby I want him to do what is right Think of all the people Some don't ever tell a lie You can soar with the eagle You can reach for the stars You're gonna fly You push your way through high school Man, those years were tough on you Always be resilient Sun life's waiting there for you You chose a path with fire engines Land in your head And you're gonna fly I'm 
daughter's watching over you. I'm gonna fly like the eagle. I'm gonna soar like never before. You'll always be my heroes. Please be safe. You're gonna fly. You're gonna fly, yeah. You're gonna fly. Awesome. I like that one a whole lot. I've listened to that one on YouTube a few times and seen you talk about it and everything. Thank you. When it comes to your songwriting, you kind of talked about how, you know, your hypnotherapy and your in the in the Reiki and, and all that stuff, you kind of bring that in. How how do you kind of incorporate that into your songwriting? Well, when I sit down to write, <laughs> I always ask God to be present and, um, and the angels, because I have, everybody does, guardian angels that help. As a matter of fact, Gar Archangel Metatron <laughs> and Archangel Jophiel have been helping push me on my book. Like they literally, you need to whoosh, get, get back to work. And they, in fact, said, you know, your table's a mess because there's all this stuff on it. <laughs> And they actually told me to clear the table off and to actually... Your literal or metaphorical? My literal, physical... Literal, actual table. Gotcha. My kitchen table, they told me, you need to clear this off your table when you go to write your book. And I had, at the time, taxes. I had real estate, because I'm going to take the South Carolina real estate exam. I have my license in Tennessee. I had piles of work. And they're like, we want you to clear it off. And it was funny. I was like, wow, they are really getting particular <laughs> about what I'm doing. <laughs> and they want me to get dressed. Okay. Like, I get dressed. Yeah. But I was in, you know, maybe sweats or something. They sure. want me to get dressed up like I'm going to work and go, I'm ready now to write my book. <laughs> I'm like, okay. Because apparently there's something about just, you know, a creative outlet, like getting up and actually feeling like you're ready to go show up for work. Intent. And, and intent, exactly. Yeah. And so, you know, I, I, when I go to either write my, my music or when I go to a venue, I literally have the intention of I'm sending out love and I'm hoping that whatever I'm doing is reaching the audience in whatever capacity that they need mm -hmm. at that time. And I am exhausted when I'm done. I'm, I mean, I literally feel like my battery is at 1%. I get home and then I'm like, crash, <laughs> go into the bed. Especially <clears throat> if it's a gig where you're not getting anything back. Oh. Aren't those the worst? Yeah, they suck. <laughs> um. <laughs> I, I always, I still always say, I'm making money to play music. Right. And that's that's a thing. Those are the corporate gigs usually yeah. when you're the background music to the wine party or the wine bar yeah. or whatever. And they're like, yeah, la, la, la. <laughs> but, but you're right because I'm like, 
those are the ones I'm going to charge more for when I appear because, yeah, they're either paying attention and sometimes I like to just pull things right out and go, I'm going to hit this right in your face. Because, I mean, we all have egos as musicians. (laughs) And Lord knows my ego needs to have enough gratification. Like, are you? do you care that I have a heartbeat, that I'm just bleeding my soul out here (laughs) or not? And so sometimes that ego does come out, which I've had to learn how to, you know, control the ego that the ego is really responsible for 90% or 98% of problems people have. Yeah. So, but that little 2% of the ego that needs to come out so that we can actually hold a guitar and a microphone and sing what we need to sing and not give a rat's you know what about what people think because we were born to do this and you have to at some point just go, you know what? I'm giving you all I have. It is your right to hate it or love it. And that's okay. Because I'm still doing me and I'm never going to change. You can't change me and you can't take that away from me. So that's my my whole thing. I don't care if people are listening. I mean, I'd like them to, but we are getting paid. Yeah. (laughs) And, And I go, yes. Okay, that's. That's a couple hundred dollars I didn't have. Maybe you know, <laughs> a, a lot of a lot of times those gigs though, I I try to, you know, think maybe I'll try to play a song a different way, or maybe I'll try to concentrate on a, a lot of even even a bad gig, even a gig where I'm getting nothing back, mm-hmm. where it's all just putting it in. If I can walk away from that saying I felt really good about my finger style playing tonight. Or I felt really good about trying to maybe hit some notes where if I were nervous and people were paying more attention, I wouldn't go for. Mm-hmm. Or trying a few songs out that it's like, well, nobody's listening anyway. I'll just play this. That's exactly what I do. If And, and it's it's a rare thing to, to have that really happen when you feel like, man, I'm almost empty here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. There, what is going on? Yeah. And then I finally just say to myself, you know what? This is a practice, and yeah. it's exactly what you just uh-huh. said. I go, you know what? They really may or may not be paying attention. Yeah. I'm just going to use some of this time right here and just play whatever the heck I want to. It's actually liberating. But it is liberating, yeah. and the funny thing is, then you find out that they actually were listening, and they come up and go, I really like that song. Yeah. Or do you want to <laughs> come play at my gig? And you're like surprised that somebody actually hired you from a gig. So never get defeated people that are out here listening to this take every opportunity for every single thing that you do when you're at a gig no matter what you think is going on you don't know what's going on just be like be like eric (laughs) be like colin just play for the sheer love of the fact that you can still hold the guitar and play yeah and I promise you that if you don't get let that energy interfere with what you're doing and you're like, you know what? I nailed that solo. <laughs> no one cared, but they do care. Yeah. And they will eventually show you that they cared by saying, hey, and slipping you a 20 or saying, could you come play at my private party? Mm-hmm. I just try to turn that frown upside down <laughs> and it seems to work. But I know it, it is a gut punch, you know, because like, yeah. we are, to be a musician, you have to be sensitive. And I'm a cancer, and my gosh, we are so sensitive. It's ridiculous. We are so super sensitive. <laughs> that being said, you know, as much as we try to make the best of every situation, 
validation refills that tank every oh time. yes it does and nobody is going to tell you that that's not the truth that is absolutely the truth validation is king i've been i've been trying a thing at gigs lately especially if it's sort of a, a rough night or a lot of time you're if you're playing in a restaurant people go there to eat mm-hmm. i mean they didn't necessarily come there to see a musician and and i don't i've learned not to take it personally when a group comes in and the waitress goes to sit them next to me and they're like, can we not sit next to me? Oh, I get it. I get amen. it. Amen. I, I don't want get them, that. <laughs> and I don't want them there if they don't want to be there. No, God bless them. You know? And, and, and bless their heart. Yeah. I've, I've learned to be cool with it. I've also learned that whole trick that if you actually put a smile on your own face, your voice will sound happier. So that's a thing I've tried <laughs> That is true. And also, here's the thing, because where I sing, there's a table literally right beside me. Yep. And so the first thing that I do when I see that table, I go, hi, how is your day going so far? (laughs) And they're like, oh, you're playing. Oh. And I'm like, yeah, I'm going to play. But don't worry. I'm going to check in with you and make sure you're okay. (laughs) And they're like, really? I said, yes. I'm going to make sure you're happy. And I don't suck. (laughs) And how can they get angry at you? Yeah. They can't. One table did that was over and they moved to the middle and then they finally like, we're so happy. But they were complaining and yelling at the staff and they moved to the middle of the restaurant and then they came out and said, that was amazing. Thank you. (laughs) They made such a scene. I was like, I'm not letting anyone engage with me in negative ways. Yeah. I mean, you're just going to take that little racket and go smack, smacking it back down to the earth. We're not going to hit it back at you, but we're going to hit it somewhere else into the earth. My favorite thing lately has been to to walk up there when I start playing, and it's like a packed house, and I know they're just there because it's the dinner restaurant or whatever. It's happy hour. Yeah. <laughs> My favorite thing is, hey, thank you guys all coming out specifically to see me tonight. <laughs> That's beautiful. I haven't tried that. I'm going to see what happens if they throw tomatoes at yeah. me or money. Yeah, I know you guys came just to see me. That's so thank amazing. you for that. You know, you could have been anywhere tonight, but you decided to be here with me. <laughs> I like that. I like that a lot. That's cute. So, Colleen, what brought you to Charleston? Oh, the ocean. Yeah? Nashville doesn't have that? No, we don't have an ocean. Not so much. I got to check my atlas. You know, we don't have an ocean. Uh, we have a lot of fun there. I still have the house there. Um, I have a good friend here uh, who's an amazing artist, Susie Edens Barrett. Let's do a little plug for her. Yeah. And she tried to get me here um, about four years ago, but my daughter was a high-risk pregnancy, and I couldn't leave at the time, and I had a job offer at a law firm, and then it just fizzled out. I took couldn't take it. And literally, my law firm in Nashville, I had taken a buyout, and... Um, they asked me where, and I worked for the head guy of 10 offices at that time and five or four other prominent attorneys. And um, they're like, you, you're quitting. <laughs> you don't have a job. And I'm like, nope. Didn't care. Mm-hmm. It was in the height of COVID. And here I am. Everyone's trying to get a job. And Colleen Loy decides she doesn't need a job. <laughs> what, is, what is wrong with you, Colleen Loy? You quit. Yeah. a job when people are begging for a job in the middle of COVID. So I literally quit, took the buyout, and they're like, what are you going to do? And I'm like, I don't know. But I'll tell you this, it involves the ocean. And I had no clue, but I'd been telling my daughter and and her husband and my grandkids because they actually live in my house. I have a big house in Nashville. 
outside of Nashville and everyone lived in the house and it was a little difficult to do hypnotherapy with a cute little three-year-old or, or, or a five-year-old knocking on your door, Nana, because I go by Nana because I'm too young to be a grandma. <laughs> um, you know, it, when, when you get them into hypnosis and they're like, <coughs> or, yeah. or the cupboard door by the back, by my door, and the people are rummaging through the pantry. So that I was tends like, to break the, the mood you're going for. It breaks the mood that yeah. I'm trying to go for. So I was like, eventually I kept saying, I'm moving, I'm moving, I'm moving, I'm moving, I'm moving. Plus you can't have a personal life with cute kids and a, you know, a mommy and a daddy right. running around. I can't, I didn't feel like I could bring anyone over. And it, it was my house. <laughs> What's wrong with me? It's like, because, you know, they got their little thing going on and I try to stay out of their thing so that I can live my thing. But my thing was being put on hold. And I was like, I have got to get out of here. And I love you all, but I'm leaving. And they're like, what? And then all of a sudden on LinkedIn, I get a message from a recruiter saying, do you want to apply for this job? And they will relocate you. And I was like, okay. So I had an interview and within the hour I was hired and I was like, oh my God, I just, I just moved to Charleston. What's wrong with me? <laughs> and I had a panic attack and I've never had one in oh, my life wow. okay. because they said, can you start right away? Yes. And then I, then I thought about it. I was like, no, no, I can't start right away. I have to move. I have to plan. I was like hyperventilating. I'm like, I got to just quit my job. Oh my God. <laughs> And I ended up here at a law firm that I love. It's like, what is wrong with you? You just made a massive, absolute crazy leap of faith and boom. Well, there's nothing more frightening or potentially beneficial than just saying yes. Yeah, all I could do is say no. I'm learning when to say no, but I'm too. also learning when to say yes. And yes. it's usually the opposite of my initial instinct is the correct answer. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it's setting the boundaries, but once again, making sure that the boundaries that you've set in the past aren't prohibiting you from growth. There's yeah. a lot of stuff that, that luggage that I talked about that drags yeah. people down that you hold on to the past and it just kind of prevents you from moving into the future. And I had quit that law firm before when my son had, um, returned from Afghanistan, the second deployment, and he had been airlifted out of Afghanistan. Mm -hmm. And I needed an extra week off without pay. And they're like, we can't do that. I'm like, okay, I quit. Yeah. <laughs> hey, guess what's important? So I quit twice. <laughs> I, I'm like apparently a rebel maniac that I will, <laughs> I, if you're not giving me what I need, I am not sticking around. I and I love the law firm, but you know they they said you know somebody had said at the time who's no longer there that they'd asked the head people. I know they didn't. I knew that they hadn't because I'm intuitive. So I was like, you just lied to me, right? <laughs> but yeah. whatever, okay. So I'm like, I'm gonna go see my kid. Well, then I had to turn this empty time into a tour, a European tour. So I took a Voyager guitar that I have as an endorsement, which folds in half. Yeah. And uh, went to Italy and did some USO shows in Italy because that's where he was stationed. And then went from there to Austria, then Austria to London and stayed 10 days there, played in London. And then from North, uh, no, West Knock, Ireland, all the way down to Northern Ireland. And I did my tour based on Facebook. I'm like, well, we better get cracking. So I would just say, hey, this is who I am. Here's my bio. This is who I sang with, blah, blah, blah. Shown a thing with B.B. King and blah, blah, mm -hmm. blah. And they're like... Okay, how much do you want to get paid? I'm like, 
room, board, food, yeah. lodging on the ocean. Cool. Mm -hmm. And I literally did that for three months with a suitcase and a folding guitar like a lunatic. And I think, you are insane. <laughs> I mean, I think back of that, how many people would do that? I, I still think I'm insane for doing that. I had a lock so I could lock my suitcase uh -huh. to the bed in case I needed to stay in a hostel, which thank God I never did. Because <laughs> I probably would have cried, you know. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like, but I was prepared to and I could do my laundry <laughs> in my sink. But I met amazing people. You know, so you just have to take um, leaps of faith and, and just say yes, like you said. Learn how to say yes, but also, gosh forbid, learn how to say no. Yeah. Because if you don't set <laughs> boundaries with people, they will right. trot all over you like yep. you know what. I've heard the, the phrase, bend over backwards for somebody long enough, they'll try to bend you over the other <laughs> way. I love that. That's true. I've never heard that. Thanks. Yeah, it's, it's not necessarily that. It's not a kind thing to say, but no. it's the truth. <laughs> It's the truth. Yeah. People will fold and mutilate and spindle. <laughs> yeah. If, if you let them, put your boundaries up, yes. How about another song, Colleen? All right. What do you got for us? Oh, well, this is an interesting song. So I was, um, and I've learned the hard way, I should never write a song about somebody I'm dating or dated. <laughs> well, if at, at, at least if I'm dating them, don't write the song. I tend, I tend not to do that, but... Um, this song, I was very mad at somebody, and he shall remain nameless, but I wrote it. Uh, it's called Put Your Eyes on Me. I ended up getting to sing this with Mick Fleetwood, and uh, that was fun. And then we went into the studio with some guys from Three Doors Down, two of them, and uh, Daughtry's bass player, and it was supposed to be released on an album of two other songs that I did with them last summer, but apparently I'm a dork and didn't do anything with it, sadly. <laughs> so... It's just a fun, I mean, and the solo with them, I mean, I like playing it too. And it was fun to play with Mick. I almost had a heart attack, like <laughs> playing with him. But uh, with the guys from Three Doors Down, we were like goofing off in the studio and just having the most amazing time. And um, hopefully you'll hear it, the full-blown version at some point in the near future when I get off my duff. <laughs> but right now, here it is, unplugged or whatever, plugged in. Put your eyes on me. All right, semi-plugged, here we go. You said I'll let you get away well, as you flashed me that smile You said stop looking for love, baby It's been here all this time You tore down the wall and got close to my heart and then you were gone Well, put your eyes on me Baby, tell me the truth Well, are you looking for love, baby? Or someone you can use? You saw my heart in his tracks Are you gonna keep or give it back? You pull me in so close then you push me away Your silence is killing me slowly, baby I don't know what to say I wear my heart on my sleeve, yeah Well, take a good look at me Well, put your eyes on me Baby, tell me the truth 
Awesome. Awesome. That one's a banger. Everybody's <laughs> got to have that. It's a banger. Yeah, it's a banger. <laughs> I think the kids are saying that these days. Yeah. I don't know if I used it correctly. I think that works. I think that's correct. So the the album, I heard you talking about the album in the past, still in progress, or are there masters and it's just not out? Like, where, where are you on that? I have three fully produced songs. So mm-hmm. I don't know if it's going to be an EPK. I do have a record label called Indigo Shine mm-hmm. and uh, Indigo Media Shine, excuse me. And um, I'm a member of the last Honky Tonk Music Series, and Bridget London and I own Indigo Media Shine. So we are going to release some good music and put it out on that. We just have to, I have to probably decide if I'm going to do two more songs, and those need to be mastered. Mm-hmm. And I, I would like the flavor to be the same, you know, kind of. And so, well, the guys from Three Doors Down at the time were not touring, so I captured them. And then we were actually going to do touring. (laughs) But I didn't avail myself of that. Like, was a dork. And we had so much fun. But so, yeah, there's plenty of stuff that I have that I just need to get back into the studio and finish it Mm -hmm. and then release it. And then, you know, Bridget's going to release some of her music, which is incredible. And we will look for like-minded artists to put on our label because... It just it it's kind of like the like I said, shining the light out into the universe, the planet that we need so desperately to drown the darkness, kill it because the darkness is trying to overrun us and uh, and we, we want to be responsible with the music that we put out. So I also don't want to rush it. Yeah. And so maybe that I can use that as an excuse. Yes, that's exactly <laughs> why. It's not that I'm lazy. <laughs> well, also you've you've seen in, you talked about having to track a person down to to forcibly get a master from them. You've seen the record industry turn from something where 
you're actually having to pay, and it's usually money the individual can't afford. So you're dealing with a company that's going to pony up the money to get you in a studio that's also a corporation. And that, that means they're owning masters or they're having you sign a thing where oh, they own a certain of, part yeah. of your song or what have you. Mm. But you've seen that transform into a thing where you could reasonably record an album in a bedroom. A, a person, if they're able to do it, can do it themselves, <clears throat> put it out, put it out both on streaming platforms and, you know, if they're, if they're handy enough, track down a processing facility and granted you don't get necessarily the promotion that you no. would get with a record label behind you but the fact that people can have that autonomy to put out records themselves and songs themselves and own all of it is a to me it's a big deal oh it's a huge deal because nashville of course is tanked <laughs> yeah <laughs> it is and I can say that because I've been a resident for 21 years. So, yeah. I mean, I literally saw the heyday and prior there too. I mean, I, I probably missed the actual heyday of really when um, things were amazing. I have worked with the best hit writers on the planet and um, sat beside them and sang in songwriter rounds and, you know, did songwriter festivals. I still do with these guys mm -hmm. that every song you can hear on in any station, they've written it. And now they're having to get creative because yeah. the labels are taking their money and Nashville's basically folded. So yes, all of, all of the, you know, self-produced, whatever you can do, they were doing 360 deals and all these other things. You just go into the studio, do your own thing and literally believe in yourself enough and put it out there. I personally have not put anything out on Spotify because I was so pissed off, excuse me, that's the worst <laughs> word I've said so far, about how much money you can make on Spotify. And some of my hit writer friends, they laugh, you know, like, oh, I made 20 cents. <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> but, and of course, they're making, I get mailbox money, I do. I get, you know, royalties yeah. and stuff for some of the stuff I've done in, in Europe, but not like them. I mean, these people bought houses and cars and yeah. diamonds and, I mean, stuff you like can't even fathom. Yeah. But, um, even now they're struggling and these guys, they should be still getting some of the money, but the, the whole system has changed. And now with, you know, YouTube and TikTok <laughs> and all the other platforms that I sound like an idiot that I don't even know how to use Instagram. <laughs> yeah. Different streams of monetization. You know, Absolutely. In, in the democratization of music, it also has given, it's also a little bit not poison the well, but it's, it's watered it down. It is watered it down. Now that everybody it. can do it, everybody can do it. Every, but that's okay. <laughs> because as we said, it's not a competition. No. And the, and the fun part about this whole thing is it works as far as publishing too. Because yeah. now you can use, and I digress, but you can use Amazon as your publisher or mm -hmm. whatever. And for my angel book or whatever, I think I know where I want to send it and it will probably get a real publisher. But if I don't, I'm not going to say if I don't, but if I were a different person and not me that manifests what I want, right. <laughs> I would say, go to Amazon and self-publish. Oh, and yeah. Boom. You can do a print on demand. Absolutely. And, mm -hmm. Why not? Get excited about your music project and just throw it out there. And I'm guilty. I don't sit in front of the, I'm an idiot as far as tech. 
stuff musically. And I have this studio and I've got a, a famous producer over in France that has been banging on my head. David Mendel, I love you. I'm so sorry. I'm an idiot. And you know this. <laughs> I bought, you know, this for idiots or dummies, you know, uh, Logic Pro or whatever. I'm like, oh, God, I don't know how to do this. I have a beautiful Mac, this huge thing. Do I know what to do with it? And Chris Dodson says, why don't you just come over and record in my studio, Colleen? I'm like, you're right. I probably should. I missed being on an album because I was so, like, dorkish and trying to figure out how to learn this stupid program and yeah. what you do. So people like you, they they fascinate me how they can do all of that. I can't. I can do many, many other things, <laughs> but right now that is not my forte. <laughs> well, what I actually, when I went to college, I took a kind of interesting path. I got into the school of music as a trumpet player. Oh, wow. Because that's the only thing I knew how to read music on, and it could get me in the school of music. Ah. But I got in the school of music so I could take the recording class. And then I was like, can I write a recording major? And they're like, yeah, sure. So I was like, well, these are all the classes I'll take. And then I took all the recording classes, and then I said, ha never mind, I'm going to drop out. Thanks for teaching me. And then I, <laughs> then I got into a different college. And I was ta and I was like, hey, you guys have like a graphic design path, right? They're like, yeah. I was like, okay, I'll take that. And then I learned how to make a website, and I learned how to use Photoshop. And then I said, haha, just kidding. I just wanted to know how to do that so I could put out my own band CDs. And then I worked in a factory for 13 years. But the bottom line is I learned how to do all those things, and now I screen porches. And and you get paid well to do it, so you have this beautiful collection on the wall that I'm looking at. All of these beautiful guitars. They're oh, everybody! Amazing. Everybody comments on the guitars that Screening Porch has bought. But. Yeah, um, I was kicked out of music school. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I've got a funny story about that, real quick, if we have time. But yeah. so I was um, at American River College in Sacramento, and I had never had vocal lessons, and I've you know obviously never had guitar lessons. So I thought, well, I'll sign up for vocal, I'll sign up for guitar, and I'll sign up for piano. So the piano lab was always busy. You could never, and I didn't have a piano at my house. You know, I'm a student, and I'm also living on my own and supporting myself. And <laughs> no piano, go to take the piano and practice. Always someone in there. So that okay, we'll just try to go back to that. Then the vocal thing, I think I, I don't know, I probably went like three or four weeks maybe. I'm sitting in my guitar class. My guitar instructor reminded me of Mr. Rogers. <clears throat> we were in the bleachers. And I'm just holding my guitar, and I really was not trying to do anything, but I think he had said, if you touch the guitar, you'll have to play a solo. And I can play Malaguena. Boom. So he get up and play a solo because I apparently was touching my guitar. So I played Malaguena and the crowd in the students erupted in applause and he threw me out of his class. He's, get out. Yeah, you damaged his ego. I How's damaged he gonna... the poor yeah. man's ego. And so I'm sitting there outside of the class and all the people are pouring out and they're like, that was amazing. <laughs> and so I thought, well, I've been thrown out of that and the only reason that I really, really, really signed up was because I wanted to learn more music theory. I yeah. wanted to learn how to read music. I can read music notes, 
you know, single notes, but I never knew how to do chords. I'm self-taught. Mm-hmm. I wanted somebody to show me the theory. And then I was like, okay, I already know how to sing. He just threw me out of what I wanted. Yeah. I can't get into the piano course. So what am I doing here? This is a waste of time. Plus, I lived on the other side of town. So I was like, all right, I guess I'm dropping out. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, there there was my uh, a music college. <laughs> I, I went to three different colleges. But, um, yeah, <laughs> yeah I, I feel your pain. Yeah, my experience <clears throat> actually with playing trumpet in college was the actually what they would try to beat into me made me dislike it. Mm-hmm. And I'm grateful I didn't try to do guitar because I don't want to dislike that. Like, no, no. There's, and you talked about initially learning when your parents make you have lessons or whatever. There are people who are able to do that. Oh, and yeah. And then there are people if who say- If they're not like us, rebels. Well, <laughs> I don't know. I, th- I think I just had undiagnosed ADHD at the time. I it's, think I do too. I was just unable to pay attention to things. And if it, if it didn't feel like it mattered to me, I didn't care. That was how I handled school and that they (laughs) thought I was an idiot and said, your daughter can't read, which is why I ended up in Catholic school because they were boring me to death. Yeah. Like, C-spot, run. And I'm reading Black Beauty. Right. (laughs) Right. You're boring me to death. (laughs) So, Colleen, let me ask you a few questions about your songwriting. Um, Are there any tried and true methods? Like, do you sit down... Number one, do you sit down specifically to write? Do you block out a piece of time and say, I'm going to write songs now? Um, I'm not mechanical like the the, um, expectation in Nashville. Because in Nashville, they actually, the labels assign you writers to write with. And they assign, sometimes they even assign you topics, Mm -hmm. which is all good because they still make money. Um, I don't really write like that. I've written like that with other writers and hit writers. Um, it's not always the best, but I we've gotten some really good songs. Usually for me, um, I'm holding either a pen and paper or my beautiful phone now that we have that digital recorder. Isn't that great? And I sing on planes and I sing in you know my bathroom and I write notes to myself all the time and I'll wake up and go, oh my God, that's a songwriting thing. Yeah. And sometimes the song comes out in minutes, like literally the melody, the words and everything, it'll come out just in minutes or it will come out in pieces. Um, The song that I'm going to do for you soon is um, actually where I, um, someone like me with Brianna D'Alba was actually, we set a time because she was writing with and working with Garth Brooks people. And we sat down and thought, okay, we'll get together. And it was my idea about um a relationship that also will not be relate you know who it is about but um (laughs) i told the person who it was about and it was my life so um i already came with the knowledge that this was what i thought and you know when you're in a in a team kind of situation you have to throw an idea out and they're like does that resonate with you because obviously the other person doesn't want to have you shove their your idea in their face because and then you have to for, for knowledge base and legal reasons, you have to establish the splits up yeah. front. This is very important, people, <laughs> to discuss this in advance. What are the splits? Mm-hmm. So put that in writing always. Not that that's ever affected me other than a production deal, which I had to get out of. But um, And a deal in Nashville I had to unravel from the ground up, which was a miracle. But yeah, um, she and I wrote very well together. Mm-hmm. We've written several songs and that someone like me just kind of literally poured out and she helped with the melody and just, you know, 
we just did it. And and I took it and that became my like, oh, I love this song. <laughs> it's my life. Like, ah! <laughs> when you <my> write chest. <laughs> when you write songs, um, do you ever think in terms of like when a song when a song starts to take root, do you ever think like, oh, this is maybe channeling a certain singer or a certain songwriter? This is my such and such style or Well, to be fair, in the beginning, um, even though I was in Nashville, I never cared about and I never wrote commercial. I didn't mm -hmm. care because I never wrote for commercial purposes, which is stupid in my opinion. <laughs> but I, I always wrote for my joy and for my learning purposes or whatever just to get the song out because as a writer, it's got to come out somehow. And then over time, when you're immersed in that whole thing, how Nashville's wired, you start thinking, okay, that would be a good song for so-and-so, but then you've got to be plugged into the song pluggers. Yeah. And if you're not plugged into the song pluggers, and I literally will admit to you that I've not plugged one of my songs, not mm. one, to anyone, although one is in the radio <laughs> in Europe, um, Girls, Girls Night Out, um, and it's playing on the radio, and that was a, a miracle in itself. But... Um, and I'm going to remedy that. I don't recommend that you don't use song pluggers. You should, because it's a lot of payola in the, in the radio industry and all this other stuff. It's still deep and, and it, it's well noted that it happens. But, um, yeah, I hope I answered your question. I think I did. Did I? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Are there any songs, and we're not talking about yours, are there any songs of other people's that you consider to be like the pinnacle of a well-written song. Oh my gosh. Well, I'm very partial to Chris Christopherson, Bobby McGee, mm. me and Bobby McGee. Mm -hmm. um, only because also it's my signature song, but there's so many songs. I mean, gosh, James Taylor, fire, fire and rain, mm. you know? Mm -hmm. And, and like you said, you were talking about, um, and even now, uh, I don't know who wrote the joke by Brandy Carlisle. Maybe she wrote it. I, I think, think she, she did, did, yeah. Like, holy moly. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I literally learned to sing that last night. There are songs that just hit you in the face, and they smack you in the face, and you're like, ah, you need to... And it's such a political song, but it's not. Mm. And, and you know, for me, I like to write with um, hidden meanings in the songs. Yeah. A lot of songwriters I know that I work with, we like to do that. It's like people will tell you it's like being in an English class and the teacher grades you on your thoughts. You can't right. do that. Right. And literature. You can read the same book and come out with a totally different meaning that the author meant. Mm -hmm. And that's the beauty about songs is that that could mean something to this person and then this could mean something completely different, but they're reading the exact same thing. And so we like to put little twists in the song so that yeah. they're like, oh, yeah, it could have meant that, but it could have meant this, too. And be, you know, really catchy with words and phrases and simple is best. Yeah. I'm still <clears throat> astounded when I hear a song I haven't heard before and it gives me goosebumps. Like I wonder, and as musicians, we hear more songs than the average bear just mm -hmm. because it's what <clears throat> we live for. Right. I wonder if I've heard a million songs. Maybe. I don't know, but to still, to hear a new song that you've never heard before, and it just gives you goosebumps or 
brings a tear to your eye or mm-hmm. makes you feel like driving your car a thousand miles an hour. That's a special thing. Yeah. And, and for that to happen, the goal is to write that song. Yeah. Are there, what are your, who are your favorite songwriters? Who are your people? Oh man, who are my people? Well, I love James Taylor. Mm-hmm. Um, the, as far as artists, Hart wrote a lot of their own music. That was yeah. one of my faves. Like, holy moly. And Bonnie Raitt, Melissa Etheridge, her music. Um, I sing Melissa Etheridge. I can relate to her stuff. I'm not gay, but I'm saying that woman can sing. And she, yeah. she sang stuff you know, where you didn't know for the longest time that she was talking about a man or a woman. It's neutral. Who it doesn't cares? have to be specific. No, it yeah. never has to be. Relationships an, are right. relationships. They so. are relationships and people fall in love with the soul. So mm-hmm. the bottom line is she's an amazing songwriter. Uh, There's so many, like Brandy Carlisle, she's an amazing one. Laura McKenna, um, and she's out of Nashville. I mean, every, Miranda Lambert. Yeah. Like she's, the more I listen to her, like she is just like this little bad <laughs> like <laughs> she can sing country and you know the drunk and I want to go home with Nell or what what's her L L King. I mean, there's so many and they're like, oh she's blah blah blah. No, she's she's amazing. Mm-hmm. And there's so many others. I mean, there's tons and tons, and I listen to all genres of music. I love R and B, I love rock, I love heavy metal, I love even some rap. I mean, yeah. I love the the some of the pop stuff now, you know, Sean Mendes and um, Je- uh, gosh, what is his name? Oh, James Bay. Like he's an incredible artist. There's so many. Um, Ed Sheeran. Yeah. They. I mean, it's endless. There is so much talent running around this planet, and it's never a competition to me. It's like everybody, come on, we need music. Let's For just sure. let's share. Let's sing "Kumbaya," hold hands at the campfire, and sing "Kumbaya." If I went through your record collection, whether it be what you listen to on your phone now or what you had on burnt CDs or what you had on mixtapes or your parents' records back in the day, is there an album or a couple albums that that's what got the most spins throughout your life? It would be any Heart album because I have them all. Uh huh. Any Fleetwood Mac album because mm. I have them all. Mm-hmm. Um. It would be now, well, Pink Floyd, The Wall. Okay. Um, Jim Morrison, The Doors, any of those. Yeah. And uh, Pat Benatar. I was Pat Benatar. So okay. I was on, that was one of my nicknames. I actually look like Pat Benatar in some of my 80s pictures. <laughs> now on my record collection, there's Journey. There's Brandon Lake, the Christian singer. There's so much. I mean, my spectrum, Celine Dion, it goes from from A to Z. There's rock, there's pop, there's hip hop. I mean, what I listen to is so eclectic, and I do have an incredible album collection still, and I have a, a, a record player. I play Neil Diamond, uh, and I will play Jefferson Airplane and sing White <laughs> Rabbit till my neighbors want to throw me out of the complex. I'm still an album guy. Oh, I am too, when, because there's nothing like that sound of the needle on the on the grooves. And uh, and when when they put together albums, they put those songs on there in that order for a reason. Oh yeah, they certainly did. And I'm to the point where with some artists, I'm hearing a song and when it's fading out, I'm anticipating that next one so hard 
that if it's on a shuffled playlist and that next one doesn't hit, I don't feel right. <laughs> You're like, wait. Yeah. What happened? <laughs> yeah. The B side is not always supposed to be the B side. Right. And I learned that the hard way. No, yeah. just kidding. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> uh. Well, thank you so much for coming by today. I've had a great time. Do you want to leave us with one more song? Yeah, I think I'm going to do the one um, with Brianna D'Alba, Someone Like Me. I think um, it might make you sad, but you can turn something happy on after you listen to it. All right, let's hear it. Thank you for having me. Thank you.
hope you enjoyed my conversation with Colleen Loy. And as always, thanks for listening to Songs of the Unsung. You can find us on our Facebook page, Instagram, YouTube, and at songtotheunsung.com. Also, if you're a local singer-songwriter, feel free to reach out to me and be on an episode. Always love talking to and meeting new people. Thank you so very much, and we'll see you next time.